0: Well, we're continuing today our look at the book of Proverbs, and you can see behind me if you're looking at the slide, we've been talking about this idea of walking in wisdom and what it looks like ultimately to grow in godliness, to avoid costly mistakes, to get ahead in life as we trust in Jesus Christ. And this morning, uh, the portion of Scripture we're about to look at from Proverbs chapter 9, we're going to look at the whole chapter, but... I want you to ask multiple questions of yourself today, but the overarching uh, question that I'm going to be asking today is this, is it hard for you to accept correction? Now, I'm just going to say this right now at the outset, as I ask that question, is it hard for you to accept correction? There will be no looking over at your spouse throughout the course of the worship service today. There will be no judgmental eyes or or anything like that, looking over at at, at your your best friend or your, your roommate or your sibling, all right? We're not looking at other people. We're asking about ourselves. We're not pointing the finger at anyone else. We're asking about ourselves. Is it hard for you, not your neighbor, is it hard for you to accept correction? The answer is yes, all right? Let me just jump to the, to the chase here. The answer is yes, it is sometimes hard. But we're going to be talking about what the Scripture actually says related to this. So if you would, take your Bibles and open up to Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. So Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 18, And we're going to be asking that question. We're going to have some related questions that go with that in just a moment, but let me read that for us. Proverbs 9, starting with verse 1, this is what it says. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. "'To him who lacks sense, she says, "'Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. "'Leave your simple ways and live "'and walk in the way of insight. "'Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, "'and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. "'Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. "'Reprove a wise man and he will love you. "'Give instruction to a wise man "'and he will be wiser sti- or still wiser.' "'Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. "'The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, "'and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. "'For by me your days will be multiplied "'and years will be added to your life. "'If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. "'If you scoff, you alone will bear it. "'The woman of folly is loud. "'She is seductive and knows nothing.' She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege to be able to spend some time together reading this portion of Your Word, thinking about the things that You reveal to us in it, and growing in our relationship with You as a result. Lord, we're just so grateful that we have the privilege to be able to carve out time to do this. And Lord, we know that on a day-to-day basis, there are all sorts of things that are on our mind. There are things that sometimes weigh our hearts down or weigh our thinking down, but we're just so grateful that You give us a moment like this each week where we get the chance to start off our week with our brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping you with sincerity and trying to be open vessels to receive the teaching of your word. And so, Lord, if, if, since you have given us the privilege to do that today, we pray that we would take great advantage of it. We pray that we would make the most of it, and that you would speak to our hearts with your power and with your wisdom now. So we commit ourselves to you in this moment, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever said something out loud that you didn 't think would surprise somebody, but it totally did. You ever made that mistake? Most of the regrets that i 've had in my life, by the way, it seemed that my biggest regrets tend to come back to things that I have said that I wish that I could take back. Well, when I was being trained in counseling, the way that the counseling training was was set up um, was you would spend time in these group labs, <clears throat> and when you 're in these group labs, you would counsel one another, and then after you counseled one another. You would then assess one another on how well you, you know, practiced the exercise or how well you got to the point or how well your listening skills uh, came across or, or things like that. And, um, and we would give each other feedback. We would try to refine one another's abilities. And so one afternoon while I was in one of those counseling labs, there was a group of about 10 of us, and we were all paired up, and, and our professor kind of you know set us up with different people, and, and she would try and mix it up who we were with. And she paired me up with another woman, and, um, and we had to counsel one another, and then we had to give each other feedback. And so I was asked, all right, what's my feedback? And this is what I said to her, and it was something that apparently shocked her. I said... I think you would be hard to counsel. Like in a real world context, you would be hard to counsel. And I was giving honest feedback in that moment, but the look on her face when I said that was one of surprise, it was one of alarm, and it was also one of hurt. And I didn't mean to say that to hurt, I was just trying to be honest, and we were encouraged to be very, very transparent in our feedback, recognizing that the people coming out of those labs were then going to be working with real people and real needs. So if there's an issue, we got to deal with it there so that we don't bring that into real-world counseling. And that's what I said, and I was very surprised when I said said it that it, it visibly hurt the person that I said it to. But her resistance to receive counsel... During that practice, exercise gave me that feeling. That was the honest feeling that I was left with. You would be hard to counsel. So I think it's easier for me and probably for all of us to point out the faults of other people without taking an assessment of our own lives. So soon after that, I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? I wonder if someone might actually make that statement about me too. I wonder if I'm hard to counsel. And I think if I'm honest with you, it probably depends on the subject it probably depends on what you point out. So if something you point out to me doesn't matter much to me, or it isn't something that exposes one of my inherent insecurities, I'd probably be easy to counsel about that. But if you really find the right thing, the thing that I'd probably most need to talk about, I think that's where you'd start to experience some pushback. And so as I get older, I'm trying my best to become more and more self-aware about all sorts of things in my life, even things like that, because I don't want to be somebody that's not correctable. I don't want to be somebody that's not teachable. I actually very much want to be a teachable person. And so this is an area that I kind of decided uh, over the years that I want to keep an eye on just in regard to myself because I don't want to miss something I'm supposed to receive just because it wasn't what I wanted to hear. So what about you? All right, I'm confessing that about myself to you but I want you to ask these questions today in a personal way too, like I'm asking them to myself. What about you? How do you respond to counsel? How do you respond to correction? If someone in your life corrects you, do you take it well? Does it depend on the person? Does it depend on how they say it? Does it depend on the topic? You know, how do you take it? If someone tries to counsel you, how do you receive it? How does it strike you? Do you get defensive? Do you get dismissive? Or do you receive it with humility and appreciation, saying, you know what? You said that to me in love. I need to receive that with humility. I need to accept that from you. Proverbs 9, which we just read together, we're going to, take it, we're going to reread some of those verses and take it a section at a time, but Proverbs chapter 9 is actually inviting us to wrestle with that concept. We're invited to wrestle with this concept, is it hard for us to accept correction. That's what we want to wrestle with here. So some related questions that come from this, and I'm going to reread the first section of verses in just a moment here, but one of the first related questions is this. Will you walk in the ways of insight? Will you walk in the ways of insight? Think about why I'm asking that question as I reread verses 1 through 6. It says there, "'Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine.'" She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Now, you probably notice something. Uh, as I read the, main, the, the whole proverb just a few moments ago and then reread this section here just a second ago, but there's a literary device that Solomon is using here in the book of Proverbs, in this particular proverb. He does it elsewhere as well, but I want to point it out to you so that you see what's going on here. He's using personification. And you know what that means? Personification, if I'm describing that, that's when you take a concept or a feeling or an emotion or something like that and you treat it like it's a person. And so he's using personification here as a literary device. It's a poetic thing that we tend to do. It's like when we call the, the weather by... Uh, or like, it's like when you call a storm by a person's name. Well, that storm doesn't have a personality, but we, we treat it like it's a person. And that's what he's doing here with wisdom and with folly. He's using personification. And as he attempts to, to help draw this contrast between wisdom and folly... What he's doing here is he presents them as if they're two very different women. You have the woman of wisdom that is to be esteemed and looked at as a great example. Then you have the woman of folly, and he's saying, all right, don't follow that example. Don't follow that counsel. Don't go in that, in that direction. And when he presents the woman of wisdom here, right? So he's, he's, he's using personification to illustrate this character trait of God. And he's saying the character trait of, of wisdom that, that the Lord has, that by, who by nature, you know, the Lord uh, displays His wisdom, and this is what wisdom looks like. It, 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 he's saying it basically reminds me of a, of, of a woman that displays wisdom and shows that with her lifestyle. The woman of wisdom is prudent, thoughtful, inviting, helpful, and filled with good counsel. And as he uses this personification, he, he takes it a little bit further, and he shows us that wisdom tries to guide lost people onto a better path. But folly does the exact opposite. And so we'll examine the, what folly's doing in just a few moments, but let's start with wisdom. And so here in these verses, Solomon's trying to convey a picture of the benefits that come to us as we embrace the wise counsel of the Lord. If you embrace the wise counsel of the Lord, good things will be experienced in your day-to-day life as a result of that. And one of the major benefits we enjoy as those who trust in Jesus Christ is greater insight. He grants us His mind. We spent a group of weeks looking at that concept, the mind of Christ. Christ lets us see with His eyes. We know that through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we are being intentionally led toward the truth. And we're being shown all sorts of things that we would not have naturally perceived. The Lord reveals things to you and He reveals things to me that, naturally speaking, we wouldn't have noticed them, but He brings them to our attention as we're seeking His counsels, we're living in the wisdom that He grants us. And when you have this book of of Proverbs doing this chapter by chapter, illustrating wisdom, you have in this chapter in particular um, this idea of gaining a better insight of how the Lord is pursuing us with His wisdom. So the Lord's not just passive about wisdom. He looks at you with love and he says, all right, I want this for your life. Those of you that have prayed for a younger person, probably one of the things that you have prayed for in in regard to them, I've prayed this for my children. I know that my parents prayed for this in regard to my own life. In fact, I once caught my mother praying that the Lord would give me wisdom. But don't you do that? Don't you pray for younger people that the Lord would give them wisdom? And why do we pray that the Lord would give them wisdom? Well, the older you get, you realize how many hard things you had to experience to gain the wisdom that you had, right? How many difficult things you went through over time where you had to learn some of those lessons the hard way. And so one of the things that I find myself praying for in regard to my own children is, Lord, I realize there's some things in life we have to learn the hard way, but by your grace, will you help them learn it the easy way? Help them, like the pain that I experienced to learn this lesson, help me to just accurately and with a good heart convey it so that they don't have to experience the same pain I had to go through to obtain it. But one way or another, the Lord wants us to have wisdom. He's actively pursuing us and trying to grant us that wisdom and, and, and inviting us to be open to it. We see that concept all throughout the book of Proverbs. And when you look at the way the Lord does this, I really appreciate this about the Lord. He's very intentional about what He's doing. And he's very organized. I love organization, all right? I love it. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for anything that I see that, that is organized. I love organized people. I, love, I, I even love disorganized people, too, you know? Um, but I love organization. I love the fact that our Lord is so organized in how he goes about things, he's very methodical with his plans, the things that he's trying to do. And he's dealing with humanity in a very intentional and organized manner. And the personification of wisdom that we're shown here in this passage is trying to help us understand that. It's trying to illustrate that about the Lord. We're told that wisdom... So again, it it takes us back to this idea of personifying wisdom as if it's a wise woman. And we're told that wisdom has built her house, prepared food and drink, sent out her servants to extend an open invitation to partake. And when you look at the Lord's activity, as... um, As he interacts with humanity, you see that illustrated in this description. Because what's the Lord doing? He's building his house. He's preparing a banquet table. And he's sending out his ambassadors into this world to extend the invitation. He's saying, partake. Just eat it up. Just take it, use it, and have it. And in this passage, we're told that wisdom invites the simple to change course to eat the food she offers, to leave their simple ways, to walk in the ways of insight. And again, this is all being shown to us to help us gain a greater glimpse of the redemptive work of our Lord. Because through Christ, we're invited to do that very thing. We're invited to change course. We're invited to find our sustenance in Him. We're invited to leave our life of spiritual blindness. The spiritual blindness that we were walking in in the past, we're invited to leave that and then to walk in the light of the truth of Christ's gospel. These are concepts being illustrated in this poetic way. And that's all beautiful to consider, and I think that that's useful for us to understand. But again, I think it begs the question, will you walk in the way of insight? Will you actually walk in that way? You know, are we just going to hear it, or are we going to do something with it? Will we walk in the way of insight? Because true insight is found in Jesus Christ. True wisdom is found in Him. Do we want what He has to offer, or will we settle for the thoughts and the ideas of influencers and gurus and other people that sometimes we allow to influence us who are not omniscient, who are not all-knowing? Our Lord is all-knowing, and He offers us His wisdom. And sometimes I think to myself, and the reason I'm asking this question, or the reason I'm saying it that way is because of this... Um, I I find myself wrestling with, all right, who do I allow to influence me? And the people that I'm allowing to influence me, I'm basically giving them an open door into my life. And where do I elevate their counsel? Is it something I'm elevating above the Lord, or is it something that I'm putting in its proper place? I have two different offices. One is here. One's right behind that door. And those of you that have been in that office realize that it's filled with books. And a few years ago when we were, I was doing something where I decided I need to purge some of these books because I've got way too many. I gave away 400 books, 400 books. I was like, wow, I gave away 400 books. And I was excited about that. And uh, if you look in there, you're like, where were they? Because there's no open, there's no open shelf space. There, and I think, yeah, I, well, I filled them up with like 400 more, I think, right? Always buying books. I don't buy a whole lot of stuff, but I do buy books, and I read, and I love reading. And in May, I set up a new office in my basement that now I like better than my church office, and, which is dangerous because it's much easier to access it. And I go down there, and what's been happening? I've been gradually filling it up with books. But here's the worst part. I, I live in a world of devices. Devices. I've got a phone in my pocket. I've got an iPad. I've got a computer. And they're filled with digital books, right? So they don't even take up shelf space. But now I got I get to carry them in my pocket because I've discovered that while I prefer reading from a paper book, digital books are extremely helpful. You know? And it's nice because I've always got them in my pocket. I find myself waiting somewhere. I just take my phone out and I start reading. And I've got a book with me. And so basically what's happening is I, I, every day I'm reading the counsel, and I'm reading the ideas of people that I'm allowing to influence me. And to their credit, many of them are providing me great counsel, and many of them are pointing me to Christ. And that's a wonderful thing, but the counsel of someone who is not omniscient cannot supersede the counsel of one who is. So I may live in a world where I'm surrounded by books, but the main voice I need to be listening to is the voice of Christ, the wise counsel of God which is accessed through faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, allows us to gain real insight. And as our mind begins to grasp the value of godly wisdom, what ends up happening is the Lord looks at us and He says, "I'm I'm not only going to give you the wisdom that you need, I'm also going to empower you with my spirit to do the right thing with it. And that's a gift that the Lord's given to us. And so when we're, we're talking about this idea of will we walk in the way of insight, well, that involves two things. It, receives, it involves receiving the insight, but then also relying on the Spirit's power to actually live it out. And so you have Solomon illustrating what that looks like and what that means in this portion of Scripture. But then he goes on from there. And, he, and, and I think this next section invites us to ask this very directly. Can you be corrected? Can you be corrected? Not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your friend, not your sibling, not your roommate, but can you be corrected? And look at how he describes this this dilemma that takes place starting with verse 7. He says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. And you know what cracks me up about reading that verse? You're already thinking about somebody you know that you dared to correct somewhere over the course of your life, right? He says, he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. In verse 8, it says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Now, I'm not going to force you to answer this question I'm about to ask out loud, but I do want you to answer it honestly to your own heart, and that's this. How well do you respond to being corrected? How well do you respond to being corrected? What's your gut level reaction? What's your gut level reaction? response, when somebody corrects you. Can I tell you something that I've noticed about very successful people? I've noticed that some of the most successful people that I know in whatever field you want to select also tend to be the most correctable. It's almost a universal principle. The most successful people I know in this world, whatever field, they also tend to be the most correctable. And I've also noticed people in my life who never really seem to, seem to gain traction or momentum. And I've also noticed that they tend to actively resist correction. Isn't that interesting? In this passage, you have Solomon telling us about the nature of correcting the uncorrectable. So if you correct a scoffer, he tells us here, you'll get scoffed at. If you correct a scoffer, you're going to get scoffed at. And he says, if you challenge a wicked man, you're going to get injured. You're going to get scoffed at or you're going to get injured. And in both cases, we're basically being shown the gut-level response of those who resist correction. They fight against it. They do everything in their power to keep those who correct them at a distance. It's like, stay away from me. I don't want you near. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to be corrected. And at times, the uncorrectable, Solomon says here, are not afraid to verbally injure or physically hurt those who are trying to offer them wisdom. It's one of the ways or two of the ways of keeping people at a distance that are only trying to help you. But what happens when you try to instruct or when you try to correct a wise man? You try and correct a wise man, what happens? Well, if you give him good counsel, Scripture says he'll love you for it. He'll be really glad that you gave it to him. You know, because he realizes the nature of the favor you've just done for him. You've saved him from needless harm. You've saved him from embarrassment or error. You've probably saved him from needless expense. You've been more beneficial to that wise man than an army of yes men because you told the truth. So you correct a wise man, he thanks you for it. You correct a scoffer or a wicked man, and he verbally or physically seeks to injure you for this. I've also observed a very interesting pattern among the wise that I think sets them apart from those who refuse to be corrected. And this is the difference. The ignorant invest in their distractions. The wise invest in their understanding. The ignorant invest in their distractions. The wise invest in their understanding. Some of the wisest people I know are always telling me about the courses that they're taking, or the books that they're reading, or the interesting discussions that they've been having, while the, while the ignorant seem to only be concerned with what will make them giggle next. And I look at that and I think, all right, well, do I, want to sp- I like laughing. Do I want to spend my life just giggling about stuff, or do I actually want to learn something? And so here, when you look at what this portion of Scripture tells us, it says, it, basically, the, in, you, have, you have Solomon, he's trying to draw a contrast between the scoffer and the wise man, and he goes on to make it clear that if you really, truly want to be wise, there is a distinctive marker that is true of the wisest among us, and that's this. He tells us that the wisest among us are those who fear the Lord. When a person lives with genuine reverence and respect for the Lord, what ends up happening is they're putting themselves in a a posture that's very helpful. It is a perpetual listening posture. It's a posture where you're ready to receive information, where you're ready to hear. Their entire life is being lived with an ear directed toward heaven. As they await the counsel, as they await the instruction of the Lord, whatever He's going to offer them next... They're living their life in a very specific posture, waiting to hear God's counsel. And then when God speaks, they take action on it. They don't just hear it and say, thank you, Lord, but I'm gonna do my own thing anyway. They hear it and respond in a spirit-empowered way. I Heard a very interesting story some years ago that a friend of mine, he's very close to retirement now, but he was telling me about the history of his church. And his church was planted, I think, about 100 years ago. And it's one of the most impressive buildings uh, in, in their community, and probably one of the most impressive church buildings that I've ever been in. And uh, I remember admiring that, and he said, yeah, do you know the story of how this was built? And I didn't, and so he told me. And he said, here's the story. When this was being built, at the time, there was one particular industry in this town, and the man that oversaw that inter- industry decided he would be a benefactor and help fund the building of this church. And, um, and so he had been doing that. He had been funding the building of it. You know, He brought in architects. He helped the, with the whole process and gave a lot of money toward building this particular church. And he said, my understanding is that there was an interesting occurrence that happened one particular time when he was going through something in his life and he made an appointment to speak with the original founding pastor. And he said, can I talk to you? And obviously the pastor said, yeah, of course. And so he came in and he, he was talking to him and he decided to just be honest about something kind of controversial that was going on in his life, but he decided to just be honest with the pastor about it. And he said, effectively, can you tell me you know, what, like what, what needs to happen with this? Now, could you imagine if you were talking to somebody who was in charge of the primary industry of your community, they are paying for your building to be built, And they also paid the salary for most of the people that attended the church. Do you think that would pose a little bit of a conflict in your mind where you're thinking, this is not really the guy you want to offend, right? Because if you offend him, this might have ramifications on a lot of people's lives. But to that pastor's credit, this is what happened. The businessman said to him, all right, what's the deal on this? And, uh, And I'm being vague about the subject. Um, but the the pastor said to him, he said, all right, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And he, he was gentle in his response. He wasn't overbearing. He wasn't harsh, but he told him the absolute truth. And he said, the truth is you need this to change about your life, and you're not going to experience the change you need until you fully give yourself over to Christ in this area of your life. You've been holding back from God here. And if you're going to continue holding back from God, you're going to continue getting the same result, and it's going to be worse than what it currently is. And so I'm just telling you, this isn't something that you should continue to invite into your life. It's not something that should continue. The decision you made on this was wrong. Now it's time to change. And that businessman looked at him. And he just, he's looking at him. And the pastor's thinking, all right, what's he going to say next? And that businessman said this, thank you. Most people in my life just tell me what they think I want to hear. And he said, I purposed in my heart before I ever came into this meeting that if you did that to me, if you told me just what I wanted to hear and not what I really needed to hear, if you did not tell me the truth, I had already decided I was not going to fund this church any further. This was going to be it. But because you told me the truth, I promise you this church is going to have my support. And they, they've had a very vibrant ministry in their community. It's in New York. They've had a very vibrant ministry in that community for a century now. And I think it's fascinating, and that story's been passed along pastor to pastor, and then I was interested when it was told to me, and I thought, wow, that's a fascinating example of somebody who said, I want to be wise, I want to listen to counsel, even if it kind of hits me a, a way that might have some pain initially, I want it to ultimately be healing long term. And so it was beneficial. He received it well, and I look at that and I think, I'm not surprised that that guy during his life was successful. If that was his attitude toward wisdom, if he wanted people to tell him the truth. You could see he wanted to improve, he wanted to grow, he wanted to know the nature of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. But I got to tell you, even in recent days, I I can think of an example of a ministry leader that for years has been ignoring the counsel of his board of advisors, and they've been advising him about a variety of things, but uh, not too terribly long ago, there was something very minor and very simple that they attempted to help him work through, and he refused to work through it, and now basically they've said, you know what, in protest, they've all basically resigned. Because they've decided, like, for years we're trying to help this person. He will not listen to anyone's counsel. And so now this man is finding himself without people to advise him because people realize that if they advise him, he just won't take their counsel. So think about those examples in relation to our own life. Can we be corrected? If somebody comes up to you or comes up to me with the truth of God's Word and points something out to us, and they say it in a loving way, and they say it in a helpful way, and they're just trying to help us in our walk with Christ, and we trust their motives, and we know that their motives are good, are we going to receive it well, like the wise man, or are we going to just scoff at it or be standoffish about it? If we want to grow in our walk with the Lord, that takes investment from other believers. Other people have to have the liberty to speak into your life if you're going to grow to the level that the Lord desires that you grow. So we need to be people who are humble enough to be willing to be corrected when something is out of line in our life. And Solomon was illustrating the difference between the person that receives correction well and the person who is adverse to it in every way. But he goes on to bring up one other thing that I want to point out, and that's this. Now, I could say it in the proper English way, who has your ear, but I also, in my own mind, I I find myself saying, all right, who's got your ear? You know, I find myself saying, who's got your ear, John? Who's got your ear? And I'm not just talking about games you play with children where you walk up and pretend to steal their nose or steal their ear. Those games are fun, right? But the adult version of this is we need to say to ourselves, all right, who's got my ear? Meaning, Who's getting in my head? Who's getting in, into this ear and in, in, into my mind? And, and, and who's influencing the way that I think and the way that I live? Look at what it says in verse 13 down to verse 18. It talks about the woman folly, so that contrast to wisdom. And it says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So again, you have Solomon using that personification here. And he paints in these verses a picture that's, that's very unpleasant and I think in some respects is meant to be somewhat offensive here. Because what he's doing is he's personifying folly, and he's showing us that it's like a seductive woman who knows nothing. She yells. She entices passerby, you know, passerby. She invites people to join her on her path toward utter destruction. And as I was reading this this week in preparation for today, it reminded me of an experience that I had with my oldest daughter last year when she was buying a car. We decided to buy a, 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 well, not we, she paid for it, but she asked that I go with her. We were buying a car off of a, uh, an individual that was selling it in Philadelphia, and so we drove into Philly, uh, someone that's a friend of a friend that was selling his used Camry. And so we went down to, to take a look at it, see if we liked it. She really liked it and said, you know what, I think I want to buy this. And so we decided to do it, and we decided to go to the title place right then and there and uh, actually, you know, finish the purchase out In that moment. And when we pulled up to the title place, the tag and title place, there was a woman about 20 feet from the entrance standing partly on the corner and then partly into the road. She would go back and forth, and she had a small broom in her hand, and she wasn't using it to sweep things. She was just standing there with the broom in her hand like it was a scepter. And she was screaming and yelling at people as they would go by. She was yelling at the children on the school buses and people that would walk by on the sidewalk. And as we were preparing to make this transaction, she started yelling to one particular lady who was just trying to politely walk down the sidewalk. And it was so offensive, she looked at that lady and she started picking apart all her physical characteristics. And she started making the lady feel absolutely terrible. You could see it. wasn't happening too far away from us. And we were all shocked as we're in the process of trying to make this transaction, looking at this taking place. And there was somebody that was right by them. A guy was walking by the other direction. And he stopped the lady from yelling at the other lady and saying, What are you doing? And he tried to divert the attention all onto himself so that that other lady could walk by. And I found myself in that, that one particular spot just praying for the woman who was just insulted that she would not. Internalize the hurtful things that the woman with the broom had said to her, because it was very hurtful, very offensive things. She was really just ripping apart this woman's physical characteristics. And I thought, I hope that doesn't stick in her mind. I hope it doesn't stick in her heart. It doesn't need to be something she starts repeating to herself and dwelling on for the rest of her life. And so I prayed for her while we were in that title, title business there. But you look at that, and as I was reading this, as it's describing the the woman of folly, screaming and yelling and and trying to get into people's mind and trying to get in people's ear, that's what it reminded me of, seeing that experience with that woman with the broom standing on the corner, yelling at people, insulting them, trying to hurt them. And uh, I was hoping that the people she was trying to hurt wouldn't give her their ears, that they wouldn't let her have that effect. I don't know what that woman's motive was. I think that there was obviously something wrong with her in a variety of ways. It could also have been a drug issue. I have no idea. But the point being, she was saying very, very hurtful things, and my hope was that people weren't absorbing that into their thinking or into their life. And so in a similar way, let's ask the question of ourselves as we wrap this up. Who's got your ear? Who do you listen to? Who do you allow to yell or speak into your life? Are we listening to the the loud yelling of folly? Or can we hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking truth, the truth of the gospel to our conscience? If we're arrogant, we will not hear the voice of the Spirit. The arrogant have ears that have been conditioned to primarily perceive folly. That's how that works. But the humble are willing to listen to the voice of God and then act on the counsel that he gives. The arrogant don't like to listen. They'd rather speak than to open their ears to the truth. They'd rather live their lives convinced that they've already got everything already figured out. And in a sense, what they're doing is they're attempting to be their own Messiah. Instead of responding to the gracious offer of Jesus Christ to save them, What they're doing is they're attempting to be their own savior. Their ears aren't open to hearing the truth of his life-giving gospel. They only want to hear themselves speak. And so they speak, and then they listen to folly, and that's how they've conditioned themselves to operate, and they ignore the life-giving voice of our Lord. But what about us? Again, I always think to myself, it's so much easier for me to point this out in other people's lives than it is to take an honest self-assessment. What about me? What about you? Do we already think we're perfect You know, do we already think that that we've got everything figured out? Do we even believe that we need Jesus? Do you believe you need Jesus? Or is he just an option for other people? I'm asking that because he's offering himself to each and every one of us. He's offering himself to you right now in this moment. He's offering himself to you. In fact, he may be calling out to you today, but you're going to have to turn down the volume on the woman of folly. If that's been running through your head, if that's what you've been giving your ear to, you're going to have to turn the volume on that down. So that you could actually hear him. And if you do hear him. Respond to his invitation. And watch what he does. Because he will graciously guide you. And he will protect you from many things over the course of your life. And that's not just for the first moment when you meet him initially. That's the ongoing nature of a relationship with Jesus Christ over the long term. He guides us. He directs us. He speaks to us through the power of His Spirit. He counsels us through His Word. He counsels us and corrects us through His people. And He makes investments in your life that make your life better in every single way. Accepting correction is not easy for most people. We fight against that in some respect. But for many people, what we need to recognize is that a correctable heart is a redeemable heart. If you can be corrected, if you could acknowledge that something wasn't going in the right direction and needs to be changed, that's a redeemable moment. And so with spirit-empowered humility, what I want us to do is this. I just want us to ask the Lord to make us receptive to the wisdom that He grants us because He grants us His wisdom through prayer. He grants us His wisdom through His Word. He grants us his wisdom through the loving counsel of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we all struggle to one degree or another to be correctable, so we finish up our time together, what I want us to do is this, just simply ask the Lord, Lord, would you give me a teachable spirit? If my pride is getting in the way of listening to you, would you take it away, will you strip it away and help me just with meekness and humility to accept the counsel you're offering me? Will you teach me to give you my ear and give you my heart? And again, if my heart's hard, Lord, soften it and teach me to listen to your voice. Let's pray together and ask him to do this for us. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this that invites us to wrestle with the thought of being open to receiving correction. And Lord, when we look at what your word tells us, we see that you're being extremely gracious with us and merciful toward us because all we really deserve is your chastisement, but yet you give us this opportunity to repent of our arrogance, to, re- to repent of our pride, to submit our hearts over to you and admit that we don't know everything. And we need you to point out the areas where We have some blind spots. And again, Lord, we're grateful that you do that through your people, you do that through your word, you do that through your spirit. So Lord, help us to be like the wise man in this passage who, when corrected, says thank you and loves the one who offered correction. And Lord, if if there's any part of our life that resembles the scoffer or the wicked man, we pray that... That that would be something that you would bring to our attention so we could just give it over to you and say, Lord, help me to draw a line with this attitude and not continue to go back to it, but help me to just live with a humble spirit that's ready to be taught and ready to implement the things that you teach. Lord, so often we try to find hope in lesser things than you, and we don't want to do that anymore. Lord Jesus, we know that you are our hope. that We have no hope beyond you. So if we've been trying to anchor our hearts or our lives to anything less than you, we pray that by your grace that we we would experience the transition that you can facilitate and that you're delighted to facilitate where we realize that you are the one that we need. Help us to trust you and walk with you, and we welcome your instruction, Lord. Speak to us, we pray. Give us wisdom in all areas of life, we ask. And then as you give us your wisdom, we pray that we would be people who serve as your ambassadors, who share your wisdom with anyone who would be willing to listen. So thank you, Lord, for doing this for us. Thank you for these reminders from your word. And thank you for all of your blessings. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.